Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. History of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race, and I do, I do, I do believe in the footy gods. They really had a hand in the way the cookie crumbled heading into the finals. I am, of course, joined by my superstitious sanctum sisters of the boot. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, it's Lucy Race. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. Hello, I'm Rana Hussain. Oh, hello, my ladies. It's so good to see you. That last round of footy was better than a feature film. And to be honest, I think it's the AFL's intention to compare the sport with all other forms of entertainment, not just with <laughs> other forms of sport. And I actually think it really delivered on the weekend. Did you just love it, Lucy? Absolutely loved it. I've been thinking a lot about how much watching the Marvel movies, which is something I've been <laughs> doing alongside my sporting obsession, has made me love the idea of Marvel Stadium. And now oh. that we're not on the ABC, I can say Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Not Docklands, Docklands, Docklands. It was so exciting. It, it kicked off on Friday night with a come from behind win by Port Adelaide. I just did not expect them to come back the way that they did. And some of those games when it's really super close at the end and you know the result and you're watching a replay, you kind of sit there going, I have no idea how they do this. But it was gutsy. It means that they are the only team to have a home final. So they'll play along on Friday night in front of a home crowd, which seems like a great reward. I think Port's got a bit to prove. You know, they went out in such a close game in the preliminary final last year against Richmond. I think they're a bit of a smoky. They've got three players in the All-Australian and congratulations to the three of them, particularly Aaliyah Aaliyah, who has been just one of the greatest defenders in the comp this year. Port did bring home all the pairs over the dog. I was just desperate to say that. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Travis Boak, didn't get an All-Australian nomination. And it's so weird. We have been deep diving this today that apparently you need to be nominated by a club to then be in contention. I think you can actually choose people from outside of who's been nominated by the club. But it seems so weird because I've got to admit, every single Port game I've watched this season, Travis Boak has been on fire. Hey, I've got some really exciting mail on Port Adelaide because we've been told before and we won't be told again because we'll never let it happen again that we don't do enough Port content. So here is another tidbit that I found out today. Going into the AFLW next year when when Port comes in, there's three absolute 
crackers coming out of South Australia for the AFLW draft. And it just looks like the talent pool in South Australia is just as good as when we saw the Adelaide Crows hit the competition year one. So be very, very afraid and buy those port memberships right now. That's exciting, isn't it? I'm so bummed being a Victorian, to be honest, at the moment. (laughs) We've just been on hold and the other states have been brewing talent. I feel like we're missing out. You were quite bummed during the D's and Cats game. (laughs) Is it okay for us to float the fact that you were crying at halftime? And then it all came down to that silly 50-metre penalty that Geelong gave away. And Max, oh, my gosh, Max in front of goal. Did you trust him, Rana? No, I didn't trust him at all. But I feel like that's the Melbourne way to just not trust your team until they're holding a Premiership Cup. I will be honest, not just that game, but I have definitely been that person who's been saying, okay, take me back to the Olympics, AFL, whatever, wake me up when finals are here. And then this last round, just it's kind of like, the AFL went, no, 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 we've still got it. Don't worry. <laughs> you haven't seen anything yet. It was so good. And I was really bummed. I was putting my daughter to sleep at halftime. I checked the scores and I was so sad and just down about being in lockdown that I had a little cry to myself and I thought, no, I better go out and watch the rest of this game regardless of what's about to happen. And then what happened was they just <laughs> smashed it and came from behind for a win. Oh, so much joy. Rana, I'm not a Melbourne supporter, but I live with one and I was, my mum is one as well. So I feel quite invested in, in Melbourne coming through now. But it was quite beautiful watching Max Gorn take that mark and kick the goal at the end of the game. McKinnon's secondary college's own Max Gorn. I feel like we've heard a lot of chatter over the last few rounds from commentators who love to drop in whatever private school, footy factory. He's from that footy factory in Karai, whatever. And I know that it does get some Twitter people and our own doctor, Dr. Kate, get pretty riled up when that's mm. the constant chatter about where these players come from, what what private schools they, they come from. And it was beautiful to see Max Gorn, captain of that club, state school educated, kick that goal. We need to get McKinnon's own into the commentary next. <laughs> I reckon we should have a word to Daisy. Can you call Daisy Pierce? Well, Daisy Pierce actually does her research. So she has other things to say about apart from where the private <laughs> schools are. I researched the last time that the Ds were on the top of the ladder at the end of the season. It was 1964. A 1964 bottle of Grange is worth $10,000 now. That's going to be one expensive Gatorade shower. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have like 1964 cosplay now and just all dress up. (laughs) The Brisbane West Coast game came down into a matter of points because of the live ladder, which was sitting there being so cheeky. And the footage of Chris Fagan when they kicked that point. It was in stark contrast to the faces of the Richmond and the Hawthorne players (laughs) with the most unlikely draw and... The first time these two clubs have ever drawn in their history, it seems kind of poetic now when you look back. If the footy gods really loved us, I feel like (laughs) Sean Burgoyne would have touched that ball as it went over the line. It was the high jump gods. Why the high jump gods? From the Olympics when they had the the draw and they shared the medal. There was also some other big moments. Buddy nearly at 1,000 goals. He can kick eight in Tasmania this weekend, he gets his thousand. Oh. 
And it was in Tasmania when he kicked 13. Do you get the full set of steak knives if you kick a 1,000? Is that what happened? I don't know what you get. (laughs) It's got to be something, surely. Yeah. Maybe a green vase. (laughs) Like Ash Barty got this week. We should post those photos of us all holding our green vases in solidarity for Ash Barty winning at Cincinnati, which was the ugliest trophy that we've ever seen, and she also didn't get equal prize money. So enjoy the vase. Oh, very frustrating. Anyway, are we ready to roll up our sleeves in melee, ladies? <laughs> Let's do it. When you walk through the halls of AFL clubs or, or even their MCG, the images of men honoured for their service to this game stare back at you. Honour boards, bars, stands, statues, even Bay Marie's. We've talked about it here before. But the AFL Hall of Fame also, until now, has featured zero women. In 2018, the AFL made key changes to the criteria around the Hall of Fame, paving the way for the first woman to be inducted, and it has actually happened. Debbie Lee is the first woman to be inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame. We are watching history. We are watching the progress that we have been beating the drum for, and it is a huge moment. Julia, what will this induction mean to all of the people who have just known Debbie and been by her side, and what will it mean to her? A lot. <laughs> the acknowledgement of, of the work that went into getting women's football to where it is and having that acknowledgement come from the official institution I think is really important. Debbie herself, like for those that don't know, she had a long and decorated career as a player, as a coach, as an administrator and she first started playing in 1990 and she started her own team in 1993 as a 19-year-old. Like that kind of tells you what kind of a person Debbie is. She played 304 games over 21 years. It took that long to play that many games because of how short the seasons were in, in women's football and, you know, having a few injuries along the way. She won the Helen Lambert Medal five times as a club president. She was president of the Victorian Women's Football League from 2004 to 2012. She won premierships for the Spurs in 2004 and 2011 and I had the unfortunate privilege of standing her in that game quite a bit and it was probably the worst day of my life. Not because of Debbie, they absolutely spanked us, but any time I had to play against Debbie, which she would not remember, but I remember because she was such a ferocious competitor, just tough as nails, led her team from the front, just a, a really great player. Just She was a 14-time state rep, state captain, four-time All-Australian, captain of the VWFL Silver Jubilee team in 2005. She's worked across both the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne, studying in community development, and then she's been at the GM of women's footy at Melbourne and then came back to the Bulldogs in 2018. Her resume is very long, and if you think about the doors that would have been slammed in her face many, many, many times, she deserves this award more so than many other people. And she's part of a, a legacy of women who have ensured that AFLW is where it is, and she's very deserving of this. And I, I also want to acknowledge the fact that for a long time, those involved in women's footy, because we were kind of fighting over scraps, were really competitive with one another and weren't necessarily collegiate with one another because we're all in different teams and there were so little, so few resources, so little joy to have that we didn't link arms. And that's really changed over the last few years. I think that the community has come together a lot more because now we realise that we were distracted during that time. We saw each other as the enemy when really the enemy was all those power structures that were keeping us out of the game. So I want to acknowledge that now because I think that for a long time people 
saw Debbie as the ferocious on-field competitor and didn't get behind her, those in women's footy. And I think that I'm really pleased that that's changing now and we're acknowledging all the work that's gone in and, and, and appreciating because she was so tough. She got the league along with other people, but she got it to where it is now. That is a beautiful tribute, Julia. Rama? You talk about, you know, women's sport is littered with firsts and this is just one of, and sometimes that can feel really frustrating that we're always at first at first, but this one genuinely feels like a, oh, thank God, and finally, and we're doing it. And this person is just so worthy of celebration. I was thinking today about contentment, you know, part of being content and happy in life is to be grateful for what you have, because so often we are looking at what we don't have. And in our space, the conversations we often have are rightfully so looking at gaps. But today is one of those days where I think I'm so grateful that we have a Debbie League because I wouldn't be in this job. There wouldn't be a job to go to and that she was ferocious on field makes sense to me because you need someone of that calibre to kind of bust down the doors that she's had to. So I'm just so thrilled for her. Lucy? When I think about Debbie Lee, I always go back to the story that she's told many times about hiding and hiding her love of football. So even literally hiding when she was out on the street kicking a ball and she would duck behind a tree if a car went past because she she didn't want people to see that that's what she was doing. And and I contrast that with the Debbie that I've seen at football games and I think particularly of that first game at Prince's Park and the emotion that was just so evident on her face. And I think it, it she sums up, a, you know, a, a, the journey for a lot of people and she is a person and an individual but she also is a symbol and stands stands for I guess that for the challenges for the how far we've come in this women's footy journey. Imagine going back and telling that little girl who's hiding with her footy under her arm one day you're going to be in the AFL Hall of Fame. This is just immense it is huge she can stand shoulder to shoulder with Lee Matthews and Kevin Bartlett in that Hall of Fame and know that she's absolutely earned the right to be there. This is very exciting for women's football. All right, changing gears a bit, ladies. The Hawthorne president, Jeff Kennett, has been very vocal on Twitter. For mine, he has been conflating his former role as the Premier with also being the president of a footy club. What do you do? when you don't agree with your president? How do you action that and what do you do going forward? And Lucy, you felt this week that Jeff was being quite alarmist. Yeah, I've, I felt that he he crossed a line and we talk a lot about free speech and we talk a lot about people being free to speak politically in sport and the fact that those two things can't be put into separate camps. But I think that there is is an issue when somebody says something that's alarmist and that is likely to exacerbate fear or cause panic or do harm, and then it is a problem. It's also a problem, and I, I, I think this is a problem perhaps of PR and of member engagement, when somebody who holds a very powerful position at your club speaks very aggressively on social media to members of the public. And I think it probably comes down to the organisation having a think about at what point does somebody become 
too much of a problem and too much of a liability. Would do you prefer your presidents to be the strong, silent type runner? I think I do. It's weird, isn't it? Because there are some that are super vocal and very prominent, and then there are others who I I don't wouldn't even know their names. Like I would struggle to name all the presidents, and obviously it's going to be different for every club. But I like the idea of a president who is there to hold the club to account and the CEO to account because that is ultimately their function and to make sure to be that kind of voice of accountability across everything that's happening. And I like the idea of that being somebody who isn't super public. I have a very different relationship to how presidents work because I worked at a footy club and saw Peggy O'Neill up close and that working relationship. And there were times where she speaks up and times when she doesn't. And But I think when it works well, it's when they can have, the CEO and the president can have a really good working relationship and hold each other to account. And I just don't know sometimes when presidents are super vocal if it's in the best interests of the club. Presidents of football clubs do a lot of work, but it's unpaid. So it seems really virtuous. There are a couple of results that I think come from the fact that it's an unpaid role and it's it's not hard to find quotes of Eddie Maguire saying, you know, from his term as the president, I do all this for free. It's easy to obfuscate issues because they don't get paid. But of course, as we've seen time and time again, that it's actually a structural problem how narrow we set the terms for people who can take on roles like presidency in footy clubs. These positions have traditionally gone to powerful, rich white men. They're elected by a board and the board is elected constitutionally, which means that things like you must have been a member for X number of years or you must know people who move in those circles to even be considered a part of the the process of deciding on who the board members are. And then it's the board members who elect the president. So often rich people who are presidents, they don't just work for free. They often even stump up their own money for the club or provide a service for the club which means that it's not it's not an easy transaction because it's not a traditional transaction. There's no reason why this couldn't be a paid role, but it would take footy clubs to amend their constitutions, which is easy to do in theory, but potentially not in practice, because in, if you do, it will open the floodgates and then lots of different people could be considered for these roles. The issue isn't just about money, though. I'm not going to say that it's just about that because it's I think we all need to be broad in our way of thinking going forward with appointments and that's not the first time we've floated that idea on this podcast. But I think presidents should be appointed with the future of footy in mind, not the framework of the past and what we've known from the past. And so if you look outside the boys' club, what that's procured is, you know, Peggy O'Neill and Kate Roffey for Richmond and Melbourne. And to be honest, when you look at their clubs, their core business of on-field success well, the results kind of speak for themselves. Maybe this is a governance issue that needs to be addressed by boards. And to be quite honest, I think rather than just moving the president on, I think we need to have robust conversation at board level and the members need to agitate for that conversation to happen. Julia? Yeah, well, speaking of members, Rana, you made a point a few weeks ago that I've been thinking about, about how often decisions are made behind closed doors and for people that are on the outer, people that aren't part of the mainstream, that that makes them feel even further on the outer because they need to have that transparency of decision-making. So having that thought in my head, I think about Jeff Kennett and his comments 
And he does really represent the Hawthorne Football Club. And he says things that are pretty alarmist and awful. He seems to still be kind of campaigning for the next election, even though he's not in politics anymore. And I think then about those members who, yes, they are kind of getting a transparent look at the person in power, but look at what they're actually seeing. This person that seems very volatile, go on a Twitter tirade and alarm the whole city. Like I, I, I think that it's, if I was a Hawthorne member, that that would be quite frightening to me. And it, and it even further polarises, I guess, people who who feel comfortable enough to to raise their issues with the club because they feel that the club will listen to them because they, they come with a certain level of privilege of always having been listened to for their entire life. And then you would have a huge group of members who feel even more marginalised because look who my club elected, this person. How can I trust in that club? And it just makes me think that how how are some people untouchable and uncancelable? You know, how can someone be in that position and not be struck out of that position? If it, if it was a woman, if it was a person of colour, there is no way that they would be so untouchable. I think it speaks volumes that Beyond Blue put out a tweet saying the Henri Jeff Kennett AC stepped down as chair of Beyond Blue in 2017 and the opinions he expresses are his own personal views. When uh, an organisation that someone's been associated with is putting out messages that they see as damaging that speaks volumes and I think the Hawthorne Football Club the club that I love needs to think very carefully about what messages are being sent to not just to members but to to the wider public. The original six members of the Outer Sanctum are completely invested in the women's program at Hawthorne we are the number one ticket holders of that program and I am the number one ticket holder of the club and we don't keep these opinions to ourselves. This might be the first time we're talking about them on the pod because because it seems like an essential time to talk about it but we've written letters to the board. We make our values very clearly known and our opinions very clearly known and I think that clubs are made better by people who have differing opinions but the cult of personality that's attached through a president seems, it just feels too much in this moment, Rana. Just to go back to something you said a bit earlier around, you know, the fact that it isn't a paid role and so there's an amount of privilege in being able to take up that space unpaid. I think that gets to something that we don't often talk about in AFL, which is class. And I think AFL boards and the president function as it is at the moment is something that revolves around a particular class and your ability to get to that position in the first place. President's functions at games are usually a type of person who gets an invite. I've always found that really strange in a game that is supposedly for everybody. And an extension of that for me is also the AFL and AFL clubs spend a lot of time working with Aboriginal players and culture and celebrating culture. Yet we still don't have many people of Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people on boards at AFL clubs. To me, in a game where discrimination is being called out more and more and more and a board's function is to hold the CEO and the club accountable, it's a no-brainer that you would be putting people of colour and particularly First Nations people on those boards. As members, again, our job is to put that to the clubs and to say, show us your plan. And I think that's what I'm referring to when I say we need to 
we need to factor in the future, not the past. So I want to see more presidents of clubs that look like shock decisions, surprising appointments. And I think the fact that they're unpa- that it's unpaid is problematic because it does mean that there's a whole bunch of people who just cannot take those roles. But that doesn't mean that they've uncovered or that they've already crossed off the list a whole bunch of people who are very diverse who still could take those roles. So my my feeling is that we do need to agitate for, for those roles not to be positions of privilege but to be positions that really reflect the membership and where we want our clubs to be headed. The Carlton Football Club has been under the spotlight all week because the coach there has got the blowtorch on him. But it's weird because actually we saw that stat put out by Josh Kay, which demonstrated that you're sitting alongside Hardwick and Clarkson, he's actually beating them for how many games he's won in the first couple of years of his appointment. My query is this. I'm going to put it to you, Julia. A coach is all that. You know, does it really (laughs) come down to how good the coach is? Do we attribute the success of Richmond just to Damien Hardwick? Do we attribute the success of Hawthorne during the three-peat just to Alistair Clarkson? There's a lot of working parts. It can't just come down to the coach, surely. No, you've answered your own question with those examples. Like, it's definitely not that. And and I, you know, as a, as a Carlton supporter, you mentioned before, what do you do when you, you don't believe in your president? The name Ross Lyon has been thrown around this week and I think, oh God, what, do, what am I going to do as a Carlton supporter? I might need to change. I think that it's just a weird situation. It's so unkind as well to this person who's taken on the role. His, his record is okay for in the first 50 games. They have kind of set him up basically they said at the beginning of the year that we were in premiership contention. Like, that's ridiculous. And so now it looks like it's a disappointing year. They won eight games, which is kind of a little bit, you know, on par for the last few years. Had lots of injuries. I I think it's pretty unfair, but I guess my frustration is the short-sightedness of it, you know, that we've seen over the last few years. We saw with Richmond's 2020 plan that things take time. And just because Carlton is unwilling to accept or that they're in a rebuild, we've been in a rebuild since we broke the salary cap in the the noughties, <laughs> doesn't mean we're not still in one. So it's not going to take one year to turn it around. And it just seems very unkind to allow this speculation to happen, to not come out and publicly support him. Ross Lyon is saying that he'd take a call from them, even though the man's still got a, a contract. And we've spoken a lot about the mental health impact of of having all these things just talked about in the media and and what impact that might have on a person. And- Don't you reckon the tide is turning a little bit in terms of what we think a good coach is and what attributes they sh- bring to the table? I think in sport in general, it feels like younger athletes coming through want something a little bit different. And I sort of see that in Teague and I wonder if the system around these coaches who maybe are bringing in a new type of culture are ready for it and if the executives and the boards are ready for something different. I feel like the old guard in every level at footy hangs on to what they know so hard because as soon as someone like Ross Lyon is out of favour as being a really great option for the coach, that, that speaks volumes about the shifts and the changes at every level, which means that every pundit, every board member, every president is under threat. And so I think that the system works together as, as you know, as a 
as all different pieces of a puzzle that keeps it looking Mm. and sounding and feeling the same. Because it's too threatening to the power if it changes. After this break, some big AFLW rumours. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Welcome back to The Outer Sanctum. You're with your football loving lady friends. I am hearing the jungle drums beating very loudly for a pushback of the AFLW start time where we expected it to kick off at the end of this year that COVID wreaked havoc. As we know, a lot of states and territories are in lockdown or have cases and we're all riding the numbers at the moment, I think, around the country. And what I'm hearing is that AFLW is going to be pushed back to a January 8th start date that it is, and this is just rumours, I've had nothing confirmed, but it's looking like the the games will start in January that they're really working hard to make sure that these players don't have to be hubbed because they are not paid full time. They still need to go to work. They still have families. They can't afford to hub them. But also the commitment to having bums on seats at stadiums is a really big one. That's what I'm hearing. Julia, do you know anything more? No, I don't know anything more than that. And I guess it, it leaves me it leaves me relieved, to be honest, but also frustrated in that the reason that we can't hub them is because we're not paying them enough and they're not professional. So I'm relieved because the situation we have in front of us is that they're not, you know, full-time professional. And I do think that pushing it further along means that we will hopefully be in this magic 80% time where we won't have so many lockdowns and players can train and travel unimpeded. It's still, I'm still left with that frustrated taste. You know, we're going into the sixth season and we're still having this conversation. They cannot be hubbed because they're not professional. That's pretty frustrating. It still seems that there's some negotiables that sit with the AFLW that don't sit with the M. Mm. Rana? You just said that crowds at AFLW games is a priority and that sentence blew my mind. I just went back to, oh, I could be at an AFLW game is just, oh. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. It really is. I hope that that is what we get if it has to be delayed and it's not the ideal situation that we at least get to be there. I was being very a journalist this week. I was working the phones talking about Tassie and how important it is going to be for Tassie to have a team and then we are talking about, well, did Tassie then get a women's team? So that if Tassie get a women's team, then when do we bring in the Northern Territory and make it a fully national competition? Because until, until it is... How do you really truly compete in a national setting? The health of the competition to be truly national would mean that New South Wales footy would be in a healthier state and that that Victoria would be less of this 
monolith. It means that we get buy-in from everyone and when we know that when everyone's included that it's better game for all. So I thought that was a really interesting point. We will see bums on seats in Tassie this week. The conversation about Tasmanian footy it's not going away and it's got so much, you know, since we had this conversation last week, I just think people are saying now, this is ridiculous, why wait? And it actually feels like it is beholden to the commission or the executive. I think Gil needs to pull the levers on this Tassie team and that will be a really significant legacy, Lou. Well, we do have an update. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that there wasn't a timeline. We now have a timeline for a decision on a timeline. (laughs) Early next year, we can expect a decision on when Tasmania may get a team and it's looking like it'll be around six years away. The process will be that the commission has to come to an agreement and then they take that to the clubs and they need 12 of the 18 clubs to agree with whatever it is that they they propose. It also means that clubs like North Melbourne and Hawthorne can resume talks on their agreement to play games there next year. But it'll be really exciting to see two finals at the University of Tasmania Stadium in Launceston. I think they're already sold out. Watch. They already sold it's out. Amazing. I looked for those figures. I couldn't actually find any news on that today. Lucy, you said that the uh, existing clubs need to come to the table and agree on some terms and that is the sticking point for me that the self-interest there is just everywhere and yeah it's really interesting isn't it that you need 12 of the 18 to agree on it and there's all kinds of politics at work there yeah they're throwing chum in the water that this would be pushed through you're right Ryan like you think about how everyone's going to be walking in with their own self-interest is this a plebiscite it's a plebiscite <laughs> I think this is part of the way things happen. That, is it? You know, with yeah. some of these things that have to be ratified. If you read the small print terms and conditions, I, I think it's how it happens. I don't have the time or the monocle for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see if they, pu- they publicise the votes and see where North and Hawthorne's votes go. Mm. Oh. Mm. We often talk about the role of sport and politics to make the world a better place or to affect change. And this week, sport played a role in the biggest global political story of the year, Lucy. It did. And we saw a coalition of people come together led by Nikki Dryden, who's a former Olympian. He was in the Olympics and represented Canada, but lives in Australia now and is a human rights lawyer. She brought together a group of people, athletes, politicians and human rights advocates and lawyers. And this incredible bunch of people used their networks and their contacts and managed to get 50 athletes and their families out of Afghanistan. That includes Zakia Kutadadi, who we mentioned last week, who was hoping to represent Afghanistan at the Paralympics. There's actually a chance that she will now because there was, I think, two Paralympians who were flown out of Kabul and are now on their way to Tokyo. And the Tokyo Paralympics are doing what they can to make sure that those athletes can compete. It's just an incredible story. And thanks to sporting people like the former captain of the Afghan women's football team, Khalida Papal, who were instrumental in really focusing attention on this group of athletes. A number of the athletes that have been 
brought to Australia are members of the the Afghan women's football team. They were in danger because they're very high profile. They've been outspoken. They've talked about their views on social media and they're all very recognisable. It's just was a lovely story to have been following it and, you know, being so concerned and then to see great news earlier this week. Nikki Dryden, I think, said it really well when she said the athletes and their families had to draw on their resilience and strength. So many of them were waiting in crowds at the airport for up to 48 hours. Nikki said, yes, we gave them a hand, but they did it on their own. Craig Foster, Zali Stegall and also Kurt Fernley were instrumental in this. My mail on it is that the government wouldn't have come to the party if those three people hadn't amplified this story and worked around the clock. I think Craig Foster didn't sleep for a couple of days. This is becoming his, I mean, this we talk about legacy. This is someone who realises they have a platform and a voice and some power and it's amazing to see it used like this, Rana. Oh, what an amazing human. And he he doesn't give up. He just keeps going despite what's going on in his own life, what, what else, what other noise is happening. He's just, he's got his purpose and he goes hammer and tongue at it and I love it. I just wanted to also mention that, and we you said it up top, Emma, that, you know, we often are told that sport and politics don't mix, but This is one of those weeks where it really collided for me in a personal way because we're preparing for the Afghan cricket team to come out and it would have, it's going to be the first time that they have, you know, for me and my job, just thinking about what does this actually mean? What purpose does this serve? And, and coming back to the meaning of sport time and time again, and it is political and it's just, there's no just detangling that undeniably political. If you want to listen to a really good deep dive on this, the ticket with Tracy Holmes this week was phenomenal. She's She just does some great reporting and and it was kind of released before that these um, athletes got out of Afghanistan, but it is really worth listening to. There is no time better than now for us to enjoy Googling with Felicity. Googling with Felicity. If a goal is kicked in a forest, but we don't hear the cheers, did it really happen? That was the dilemma last year when AFLM returned after a COVID pause, but without the crowds. Television producers were concerned. Would the games feel flat? Would the commentary sound harsh without the rippling warmth of the background crowd? And would the umpire know when to call holding the ball if no one yelled it? Okay, just kidding. But thankfully for our spot, a lot of work had already happened overseas in the EPL and NFL so there were ideas to pick up on immediately. The EPL crowd sounds had been licensed years earlier by EA Sports to make their online games more realistic. So the EPL simply licensed the ready-mix crowd noises back from them. Need Chelsea versus Arsenal? Sure, here's the track for that. It even had the option to include family-friendly crowd chants. But this provided the concept of crowd noises varying depending on the teams participating, and in Australia we picked up on that. But unfortunately, there was no library of sound. There was no EA Sports equivalent. So both NRL and AFL had to work out how to make their own. Audio producers started by collecting sound for each team at both their home and away games with varying crowd numbers. You see, the noise of Collingwood fans at an away match in Fremantle is vastly different to the sound at an MCG home game. 
and the sound of 40,000 people in Dockland Stadium is very different to 40,000 people at the Adelaide Oval. So all these crowd sizes and venue versions were considered and catalogued. Then game scenario sounds were collected to overlay the track. Well, what noises do crowds make just before the bounce of a ball? What about that collective groan when a player lines up and hits the post? Well, all of these were considered and catalogued. It was in a process of working out how to mix all of these sounds to match the gameplay. Only true footy fans could operate the pedals and levers here. I mean, you could be the best sound engineer in the world, but without knowing the nuances of the game, making the virtual crowd react appropriately and in real time, well, without that, it would never sound authentic. Using literal pedals to dial the sound up and down, the right crowd sounds for the game and a library of footy noises, the magic happens. As good as the art is, I have to say, I'm yet to hear the sounds that really tell me I'm at the footy, however. You know the ones. Hot pies, cold drinks, and chewy on your boot. Unbelievable Googling this week. This is layers deep of this Googling. Uh, She nailed it. Okay, we're up to final business, my ladies. Uh, interesting story this week that I wanted to float was the Wiggles going fully diverse. There's going to be two head holes in every skivvy going forward. <laughs> <laughs> and the big red car is going to be a big red people mover. It's going to have a sliding door. Oh. It's gone fully diverse. And to be honest, Jeff, wake up Jeff, fat was the most famous Asian Australian. But it's really exciting to see it and the reason I think it's exciting is because, yes, the Wiggles have always been a four-piece, but all of a sudden they can say, but throw that out because now we can be an eight-piece and that it's just so easy to pull up another seat at the table and make it look easy and that they do lead and that they do set culture and that they do set the tone. Rana, how important is the Wiggles adding four new members to the work that you do? Oh, so important because of the reason you just said that it's possible that you can manoeuvre it, that you can break the rules and push status quo and to make it better for everybody. Just a stroke of genius. One that the Outer Sanctum have also pulled in the past. We just don't wear enough skivvies. (laughs) The skivvies we need to talk about. (laughs) Which wiggle would you be? I'd be Wags the dog. (laughs) Can I be Dorothy? Dorothy. And you're Captain Feathersword and Lucy, mm. you would be... I don't know. She's I'd Emma. be Greg. Original yellow. Original yellow. Mm. Mm. No one wants to be Anthony, I see. <laughs> he just never gets to retire. He <laughs> doesn't work too damn hard. The Paralympics has finally kicked off. My goodness. Friend of the pod, Daniela de Toro, will be the flag bearer. Just massive shout out to Danny. She's such an extraordinary human. She's a multi-sporter and this is her fifth Paralympic Games, which is just phenomenal. So a huge shout out to Danny de Toro. We talked on the fifth quarter, which is our Friday pod drop with Lisa Alexander a couple of weeks ago about people who cross sports in administration or coaching and there's been a development in that with Sherelle McMahon moving from netball to cricket. How's it been received at cricket, Rana? Oh, we, meaning I, am absolutely thrilled. (laughs) 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 And I felt, how could you not be? It's It's an incredible get. The other thing that was notable is that Mad Monday will be taking place on Zoom, no doubt, and I was thinking about it what were Collingwood going to do? Maybe get on a Zoom and all have a sourdough starter sent to their <laughs> houses. 
Did anyone have any other suggestions of what, how the clubs may have celebrated, Lucy? Yeah, I thought the Hawks would probably be doing a cahoot. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, can you top that? <laughs> this is the cahoot that got it. <laughs> the word cahoot. I just think that will be so bad at trivia. I reckon the Tigers will be um, getting together and bonding over how to roll over their super. (laughs) (laughs) I think that since we're all stuck at home and since all football players seem to have seven kids, that they're just going to steal their kids' book week costumes. (laughs) (laughs) And today my son's teacher for book week Came dressed as a fart, which I thought oh, was pretty great. Gosh. The kids would have loved that. Yeah, yeah they're impressed. Just pitched to the audience. So I reckon there'd be a, a few footballers who could be farts. <laughs> Before we get out of here, do you want to do this business, Lucy? Yes. We just want to say thanks for following and listening and enjoying the fifth quarter. It's been lovely getting all of your feedback. If you like what we do, please rate and review us. You can follow us on all of our socials. Tell a friend. Enjoy fifth quarter. We've got a good one coming up for you this week. It should drop sometime on Friday. I just also wanted to say that I know how I'm feeling at the moment, which is pretty flat. So I want to say to everybody else that I hope you're okay and it's okay if you're flat, but I just hope everybody's okay out there. It's a really tough time and look after each other. Thanks, Rana. Thanks, Rana. You're welcome. It's time for us to get out of here, ladies. There's only one thing left to say. Go footy! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.